Hello and welcome to episode 121 of Start the Beat with Sykes. I am Sykes and this is my podcast. Now, before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out last week's episode with AJ of Save Us from the Archon. If you're one of the people who listened to that conversation, I hope you enjoyed it and thanks so much for coming back. But for those of you out there who are new to the show, welcome. Please feel free to make yourselves at home. And as always, there's beer and soda in the fridge. Now, today on the show, we got my new friend Donnie of Wild Kindness Records and the band Ancient History. And for those of you who don't know Donnie or are familiar with Wild Kindness Records or Ancient History, get ready, strap in, because you're about to learn a lot. I sat down with Donnie at my place a couple weeks ago, had only met him in passing a couple times, didn't know a whole lot about him, and this guy has quite the story to tell. Awesome dude, lots of cool stuff. He's doing a lot of cool things. Wild Kindness, for those of you that don't know, is a local, independently run label, doing a lot of really, really good things for the local music community with some really awesome fucking bands. They're working with Dinosaur, who I have had on the show recently, as well as a bunch of other great bands. And for those of you who caught the episode with Jeff Benton of Misra Records, Jeff was the old general manager of Wild Kindness Records, and he had passed that duty on to Donnie, who we're talking to today. Um, this conversation actually was not set up by Jeff, but rather by Heather of Dinosaur, who I just mentioned. So shout outs to Heather. And uh, shout-outs to Jeff, too. Awesome dude. There's uh, really not much else to say. Donnie is an awesome dude. And if you're into independent music and good stories about, you know, following your passions, you'll like this episode. Before we get into it, just going to promote a couple things, you know. If you're new to the show or new to me in general, you can find me on Facebook Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, whatever, any social media you choose, at The Real Sykes. That's Sykes with an I, S-I-K-E-S. The Real Sykes. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, whatever else. I don't use Snapchat, so don't you won't find me on there. Nothing against Snapchat. If you like it, that's fine. It's just not my cup of tea. But yeah. Look for me on all those places. Also, if you're someone who listens to podcasts on uh, something like iTunes or Stitcher, all those other types of places at Start the Beat, be sure to rate and review the show. It helps a lot, supposedly. It's what they say. I don't know. And to be honest, I don't really care. Anyways, we should probably get into my conversation with Donnie. So let's do that. Let's talk more rock, shall we? Sit back, relax, and let's start the motherfucking beat!
used to have that job in the hut. Nice. I wish I had the, the complete one. Man. I mean, with the little, like, uh, yeah, he had a little, the little bed and uh-huh. the gargoyles and it flipped up and there's all, like, the bones and stuff, but, like, not really big enough to actually use and, like, yeah. Like, keep like okay you're dead you go in there that's that's fine. <laughs> yeah. i had the wrong i had the rancor too i had the big yeah i my buddy who does a lot of star wars like collecting selling and trading at shows uh-huh. he has all of that stuff and i go to a lot of those shows with him and help him run his booth so <laughs> i've i've you see so much stuff by the end of it i just know that i had lost like seven or eight G.I. Joes and my Yoda into the belly of the Rancor. Because, <laughs> like, actually, you know, it was hollow and, like, the mouth would open and you'd be like, oh, this is crazy. I'm going to eat my G.I. Joe. And then the G.I. Joe goes in there like, oh, shit. So you could, like, shake it around and oh, just yeah, hear the deceased souls. You could hear the... Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny because I think... Uh, I think uh, no, wait, no, that's the, that's the sand... Demon, where it takes like you will be slowly digested over the course of mm-hmm. thousands and thousands. Yeah, so it's not the rancor. Never mind. <laughs> Do you still have any of that stuff from when no, you were a kid? Man, no, man, I don't know where any of that. I, there might be some. Like my mom still has like this big bag of, uh, like Ninja Turtles and GI Joes and probably some Star Wars, but like none of the really good Star Wars. Like there might be some like, uh, I, I had like three emperors. Uh huh. And like. Like those Jabba's palace guards, but like none of like the really like. I, it makes no sense what happens to the shit that you had when you were a kid. Like all the stuff that you're looking at, that's all stuff that I acquired in later years. Yeah, but I had a lot of that stuff when I was yeah. a child. I mean, I'm too. looking at it now. Like I definitely had that shredder. I mean, <laughs> but like I don't know what happened to any of it. I mean, I know I had all those things, but like as far as like keeping it together, like the little belts and like the. I mean, yes, yeah, like know, like. Splinter, like I don't think I ever had Splinter, but if I did, I guarantee you that like his little purple vest would be long gone. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I had like the the Kung Fu turtles. You know how it was, like, uh-huh. where, you know, like you, know you like you pushed about? the button and they made the move. There's well, I mean, there was movements like the, or whatever. Like the like the Teenage Mutant Turtles go to Shanghai. I don't even oh, know what that. Oh, the like, samurai ones. Yeah, you know, and yeah. they had like the the ornate. Uh, yeah, I had a few of those. Um, I kind of, I really parsed my collection down. I used to have a, a lot more, and I was like, "Well, I don't want to have all this stuff out anymore." So then I kept it in like crates for a couple years, mm-hmm. and then I was like, "Why am I lugging these crates around?" So I just sold it off. Yeah, I know that I, I know I had a. I actually went through this really ill-advised period of time where <laughs> I, um, I was managing a coffee shop in, in Brooklyn. And people kept stealing our bathroom key because I kept putting uh, like Ninja Turtles figures attached to like oh, the bathroom key. And such like, a cool idea, but yeah. yeah, but like, duh, man, come on! Obviously, someone's gonna jack Raphael. <laughs> like, so I think most of my whatever I had left for the Ninja Turtles, we won't get into why I had Ninja Turtle action figures with me in New York because I grew up in Phoenix. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, they just kept disappearing, and now I don't know where the hell they are. But so like. Now, you told me that before we started recording this, you grew up in Phoenix, and that's where a lot of Bill and Ted was filmed, mm-hmm. and you were familiar with that at the time. Yes, Bill and Ted. And Ted's. you had like Ninja Turtle stuff, so you kind of were like a pop culture kid growing oh, up. Oh, for sure. Seems. I was definitely raised on pop culture. Child of the 80s? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember I remember the uh, 
George H.W. and Dukakis election uh, <laughs> when I was in kindergarten. And I remember like our teacher explaining it to us. And I remember as a kindergartner voting for Dukakis. <laughs> so actually, it's really funny is I just watched Donnie Darko for the first time in a while last night. Oh, and there's yeah. all the yeah, Dukakis all references that. in mm-hmm. that. Yeah, his dad <laughs> talks about it. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, yeah, Bill and Ted's, that was a big deal because that was definitely the first time that I had ever seen, like, I mean, I went to Metro Center all the time. I remember having, like, a huge breakdown, emotional fit because uh, my parents wouldn't buy me, like, Mario 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, like, I mean, I was, like, seven years old and, like, this kid, this will not stand. <laughs> like, and I don't think, I don't know if I got it or not, but I remember, like, that I had, like, a, like a 10 on the Richter scale emotional breakdown. And then yeah. Metro Center Mall, but uh, and so when I saw that movie, Bill and Ted's, it was like, holy shit. That movie, they said the mall's still there. The mall is still there. The mall is not doing well, and the mall, I think, is due to be torn down. Oh, wow. I know that like pretty quickly after Bill and Ted's, they took out the ice rink, and they turned it into the Galleria Arcade, mm. which was just awesome. <laughs> um, well, that's good to know. Yeah, like it was a really sweet arcade. I, um, and uh, I don't know what it is now. I remember finding out what it is now. I know it's not an arcade, but I remember when I found out what it was, I was monumentally disappointed. Sure. It's like, a, it was just something stupid. That's like, it's crazy how much shopping malls, like the interior of them, changes. I don't know how familiar you're. You are with oh, no, Monroeville up- Mall and Dawn of the Dead. How that was uh, mm-hmm. that was filmed in Monroeville Mall, but uh, the reboot. No, the the original. The original one. Was, okay. The original was filmed in Monroeville Mall, but the interior of the mall was completely different. There was an ice skating rink that is no longer there okay. that was in the film. Um, but when I was growing up, Mon- uh, Monroeville Mall was my mall rat mall. Got it. So you know we kind of had those moments too because there were still little bits of the mall that looked the same then mm-hmm. when I was in like. Uh, like junior high, high school, mm-hmm. but it's changed so much now that it doesn't even look like the same building at all. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure there's like at least a plaque or something somewhere in the mall about the Dawn of the Dead. There is nothing about Bill and Ted's in Metro Center because that was totally my mall rat's mall. <laughs> and it, uh, no, nothing, nothing. But I do, I did live around the corner later in life, later, uh, much later, uh, like college later i lived in tempe which is right around the corner like i literally lived three blocks from the the circle k you know the bill and Ted. strange things afoot yeah you know (laughs) uh i don't know i just work here Uh, but um and i remember getting a big kick out of that depending on the level of intoxicated i was when i was going to the Oh sure. You know, to, to just like, yeah, it's fucking great, man. This is the Bill and this were George Carlin shit. Uh-huh. You know, I I it was really, really neat for a short period. Yeah. Time. So being like a child of the eighties mall rat type, of course you were into music too. Yeah, but I right? mean I don't I don't know if I was like Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to music, I don't know if I can say that I was a product of the eighties musically. Oh really? Like okay. I rem- I remember um I mean, I remember, I remember when "Smells Like Teen Spirit" came out. Well, that was like you know, ninety-one, I, though, I right? Remember, or ninety? Yeah, yeah, that was ninety-one. I remember that was September of ninety-one. And I remember like my the high point of my life when I was a kid. Uh, my mom would let me watch the top twenty countdown with her and like remote control on MTV on like like I don't know. I guess it was Sunday night or whatever the hell that show was on. And like mm-hmm. I remember thinking that was really cool because I. 
I mean, I was in first, second grade, and I got to stay up late and watch MTV with my mom. Yeah. But uh, as far as, like, the music goes, um, again, I, I remember, like, one of my earliest memories, I think, is when uh, Sweet Child of Mine came out, just because my mom was obsessed with it. And I remember driving around the block over and over with her so, like, we could finish out the song. <laughs> but, like, that was, you know, that was still 89, I think, you know? So I, yeah, I didn't, really, was... didn't really have a whole lot of 80s, but, like, 90s I absorbed. It's definitely a product of the 90s musically. No doubt about that one. Sure. So was that um, around the time when you started, like, 90s came about and that music mm-hmm. was coming up? Was yeah. uh, How old were you at that point then? I was... Uh, Let's see. I um I was I was 11 or 12 when Kurt Cobain died. Okay. Um that was 94. Yeah. Um I was, so the first CD I ever bought I was in let's see I'm trying to think. Yeah, I was so I was in I was in 6th grade. I was in 5th grade when Kurt Cobain died. Yeah. I think I was in third or fourth grade. Yeah, you know, so I remember, I remember Kurt Loder. I remember all of that. <laughs> I uh, remember my, like, my uncle walking into my grandmother's bedroom, and he knew that I kind of liked Nirvana. Mm-hmm. And, like, it was the first time somebody told me that, like, somebody that I kind of knew died mm-hmm. was yeah, hearing about too. Kurt Cobain dying. Totally. It was, like, the first time that I was like, like oh, what? shit, this is somebody that, like, Okay, like I wasn't like, oh my god, Kurt Cobain, I'm so sad. But I it think was I was like, like too young to yeah, even be like that. I was too like young that. to really care. I was way more into, um, I was way more into Aerosmith in the early '90s than <laughs> okay. I was into just because I was young, man. I was you know yeah, 11, totally. 12 years old. Yeah, you know, uh, and like my parents were like kind of anti-Nirvana because they didn't really get it. Like my dad was real into not not being okay with letting me listen to certain music, and I think that like that video was everywhere of like, you know, the cheerleaders with the anarchy signs. Oh yeah. It was, he was just like, ah, fuck no. You know, like <laughs> was I, your dad into any music at all? No. Like I remember I got a, for my birthday one year when I was 13, I got a, some kid gave me uh, the black album and ride the lightning. Nice. And I was like, fuck yes. Cause I, I knew it was like one of those things where it's like, I totally found the loophole because I'm like, my dad would never let me, you know, buy like records like that. I got it for my birthday, but he still, he like saw me take him back. And I was like, well, this is just going to make me, you know, uh-huh. go out and get it more. I remember, oh, I, yeah. I remember buying bleach at Target and showing my sister like the liner notes in the car <laughs> and my dad like making a point to be like, I just want you to know that I don't, I don't approve of I, this, you know? And, and, but I think he, he kind of swallowed it because at some point he came in my room and I was listening to like Coolio, Gangster's Paradise off the Dangerous Mind soundtrack. Yeah. And he was just like, oh. We don't, we don't listen to this shit in this house. And I was like, well, okay, cool. And you're going to have to be fine with Nirvana and Metallica. Yeah, down. you got to like, let me listen to pick something. Pick side, man. Like, it's not going to be living on the edge forever, you know? Uh-huh. I, uh, my parents were pretty lenient about the music that they, I, they let me listen to because they were both, like, my mom was real into, like, Motley Crue and mm-hmm. Cinderella and stuff. And my dad was a little bit heavier. He liked Metallica and stuff oh. like that. But uh, the one thing I remember was that um, my mom was a big stickler about me having an album that had the parental advisory sticker on it. And that was like right around the time when that was like a hot subject. That was a big deal. I remember, man. And like- I remember one time we went to the mall, Monroeville Mall, but it was like my mom, her friend, and her friend's daughter, who was like a few years older than me. 
and she was allowed to get parental advisory sticker CDs. And I remember because the new Skid Row album came out, Slave to the Grind, and she could get it and I couldn't get it. And I remember being in the car and she was like listening to it on her Walkman. (laughs) It's such a bizarre, vivid memory that Uh. you just triggered in my head of like being so mad because she could get it and I couldn't. See, that was my shit was like, because my mom was super into music. I mean, she followed Zeppelin around on tour. I mean, we've got home videos of me and my sister in like Robin and Batman PJs with Velcro capes running around opening our old school Nintendo for at Christmas time. That sounds like, awesome. In like 88, and my mom, <laughs> you know, is sitting there on camera with like a Guns N' Roses t-shirt with like a handgun with fucking blood <laughs> dripping off of it. You know, and like, yeah. but like dad's mad because I'm like, I know the words to lithium and it's just like, <laughs> no. This, this. So, so what, what did your dad do? He was a firefighter. Everyone, okay. every male, right. every male in my family was a firefighter. Huh. Back okay. going back and back and back. Like it was a okay. big, big, big deal that I, not a big deal. They, they weren't like terrible about it, but I, you know, I don't even know if that had much to do with my dad's censoring of music. And it wasn't like he was some. He wasn't like terrible about it. It was just like he had like a more uh, a more stern mindset when it comes to like like, life. I don't don't know. You know, he didn't want. He wasn't into uh, whatever all that was. Just the anti-establishment stuff. You know, sure. Which I get. Even if even though like looking back on it now, so much of it seems like a novelty. Well, it's just like I mean. At some point, you have to realize that if you tell your kids not to do something, there's this window where when you do that, all you're doing is tell them is telling them, well, work harder. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like like get. <laughs> I'm just gonna have to work a little bit harder to to get the black album by Metallica. <laughs> you know? Sure. And I mean, fuck. For all I know, maybe he was totally right because when I think about it, you know, I'm not a Metallica fan. I wouldn't never. I wouldn't call myself like somebody who like. You know, it was really into Metallica, but like, you know, the Unforgiven, uh, Fade to Black, like those were some of the first songs that I was like, okay, I need, I want to buy a guitar and learn how to play these. Sure. You know, and I mean, when I think about like the songs that really got me into the idea of taking it out of the realm of music that I was just going to listen to for fun and into the realm of like, okay. I'm going to learn and be a professional appreciator and, 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 and figure out my own voice in it. You know, I mean, a lot of that, you know, Nirvana, Metallica. Remember, I had a big heart on for Under the Bridge, trying to figure out how to play that without a capo. <laughs> and, like, I mean, really, if you look at it now, depending on your point of view, I'm 34 years old trying to run a independent record label in 2017 like with no 401k it's like maybe dad maybe. was right <laughs> you know like maybe maybe me listening to metallica and nirvana and all that shit was you know maybe if i hadn't have done that i would have what in his eyes would have been a much happier life because uh you know we still we, we still get in battles about like why are you why are you still doing this why are you you know why aren't you coming back to Phoenix and getting a job like with the fire department? Okay. <laughs> you know, and it's, yeah. it's, it's just like, well, so maybe, you know, maybe there's some truth to it. Perhaps. You know, I, I mean, I, I see, I see his point more. Uh, I can stand far enough back from him now to, to see his point. I don't regret anything. Yeah. You know, but. Uh, so I feel like there's a little bit of a, a story gap here because, you know, you talked about growing up in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. 
we are sitting in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania right now. <laughs> but you also mentioned, I think a couple times on Mike, New York, working in Brooklyn, having a Ninja Turtle keychain. Yeah, yeah, I mean New York for big. the bathroom. So, like, what was there anything else in between there? Or was New York kind of like the I'm gonna go? I mean, like, what took you to New York? Uh, I was in Phoenix. Um, I was playing with you know in a band. I, I dropped out of ASU pretty quick, um, and uh, got a job at an insurance company and was just doing the stupid shit that I guess any twenty two year old, twenty one year old does yeah had my band put out our record you know phoenix is a really small pond i don't want to say that we were the big fish even in the small pond but we put out a record we were playing shows it seemed like the ceiling was if we hadn't hit it we were weren't far from it Mm -hmm. and so i had a five-piece band i convinced all of us we were going to move to new york you know and then two people dropped off and then the two other folks that were left were like, oh, we want to go to San Diego. So I went to San Diego for a little while. I mean, for like three or four months. And it was just, it was just more of the same, you know? It was a place that we had toured to a lot in, in Phoenix. So it wasn't like that big of a, of a, of a thing, you know? It just kind yeah. of seemed like doing the exact same thing with the same people, just closer to a beach, you know, and paying a little bit more for rent. And so, um, long story short, it was just, kind of hit a point where it was like this isn't this isn't what I you know I wanted to really dive into something crazy like I really wanted to shake it up and if that means that I'm going alone I'm going alone and so I literally like a switch just got hit one day and I was like fuck this I'm out and I was I um told my friends and I got on Craigslist I got a uh um, sublet in Williamsburg where I had I had never even been to Brooklyn. <laughs> I had spent like 24 hours in, in, yeah. in Manhattan at one point on accident, you know, but like I knew that that was where I wanted to be just because you can't, I mean, come on, you go to New York, you know, like yeah. there's this electricity there. Oh, totally. If you're a kid from the suburbs of Phoenix who's getting really excited because Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was filmed at the (laughs) corner store, like if that's what you've really got to cling to, it's like, yeah, man, (laughs) this is how I, you know, connect to the pop culture that clearly raised me. Uh Uh-huh. No, you you want it, man. You want to dive into that that fray, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I did. And um, it's a great story. It's very serendipitous. Um, I love telling it. Uh, I got it, you know, I, thank God this guy gave me his sublet. It was on North 7th and Wythe off the Bedford stop in Williamsburg. And, um, I'll always remember this. I went, I got off the plane. I was terrified. I mean, I was mortified. I mean, I never, I didn't know what, I figured I was making a huge mistake. Everyone was telling me I was making a huge mistake. And, um, I went into the bathroom at JFK and I was like, all right, dude, you don't know anybody here. You've got like, I had $1,400, 700 of which was going to the sublet for two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. And so it was just like, you need to like, I remember being like, you're running for student council in high school again. Like that was like what I was comparing okay. it to. I'm like, yeah. just talk to everybody. Like just turn on the social bullshit and just, you're not a fucking musician. You're not a, you know, you're nobody. You're nobody. Just talk to everybody and just start meeting people. And so I walked out of JFK, I got in line for the cab. I talked to this girl, Eleanor, who was behind me. I was like, Hey, let's get, you splitting, you going to Williamsburg or you going to Brooklyn? She's like, yeah. 
like want to split a cab, you know, need to save money. So got in a cab with her, was heading uh, to my sublet. And I'm like, so where, where should I go tonight? It was a Monday night. It was like 11 p.m. And like, she's like, it's, you know, it's Monday night at 11 p.m., dude. I mean, go to Union Pool if you want. That's kind of the meat market, you know. But North Six has got some good bars. Go there. Yeah. Dropped off my bags. And I, like, very carefully walked all the way down North Sixth from Wythe, past Barry, past Bedford, all the way to Roebling, turned around and walked all the way back to one of the very first bars that I had passed because it was totally empty and was playing the Beatles and it just seemed like for some reason there was something about this place. I'm like, this is, this is where I should start. Mm-hmm. And I sat down next to this dude who, there's one person in the bar, one other dude in the bar. And I sat down next to him and I was just like, hey man, you want to play pool? You know, tried to make it seem like it wasn't hitting on him. And yeah. like, he was like, me? Yeah, yeah, sure, man, let's, let's go. And that was uh, my buddy Tom, who had just moved out a couple of days before I did from LA. I had moved from San Diego. And uh, we kind of barreled through the whole thing together for the most part. Like Brooklyn, I mean, we really kind of joined elbows and just sort of, at least for the first year, really hung hung tight. Um, and we both kind of got really involved in Bushwick, which at that point wasn't necessarily like the Bushwick that everyone knows and loves. Sure, yeah. Um, so we got in ahead of the curve there, and uh, we really got pretty involved in the community on all sorts of levels. And then Tom, I mean, this was this is seven or year, seven or eight years after we met, you know, all sorts of shit had gone down in New York. I um, was out in LA uh, and, and in Phoenix out in, the, out in the Southwest and he came out to visit and he was like, hey man, I'm opening a bar in Pittsburgh. You know, I'm leaving New York and I'm gonna come to Pittsburgh and I'm gonna open this, this, this bar and uh, come out and help me. And that was spirit. And I did it because I wasn't really sure I wanted to go back to New York and like do first, last deposit, find a new job, get totally resettled. Yeah. I, I had taken off uh, for work and uh, left it kind of w- wide open. And I always think about that. Like if I hadn't walked into that bar in North 6th, you know, if I hadn't, if I had picked a different bar that night. Yeah. It would have been, it would have been a completely, That's crazy. completely different life. Like I wouldn't definitely wouldn't be in Pittsburgh. I'd never even seen a picture of Pittsburgh when I. <laughs> like, I, mean, I, I actually I remember uh, <laughs> when I when I moved here. I mean, I was in a big van and I came in through the, the Highland Park Bridge, you know, and uh, had no idea what to expect. Didn't even couldn't couldn't have picked pittsburgh off a postcard yeah and like i'm driving over like the highland park bridge and i see all the other bridges and like through the clouds there's this misty silhouette of buildings i'm like oh you know there she blows yeah that's there that's where i'm that's pittsburgh that's where i'm going (laughs) this is gonna be great and i looked at my gps and it was like (laughs) like your destination is four blocks (laughs) and i'm just like what like i'm driving past the zoo Uh i'm like looking around i'm like what the like hell no, you know? Yeah. Like, no. 
and like no, you know, hang a left at the Sunoco. Uh huh. And I'm like, there's this big bombed out building with balloons painted on the side of it. I'm just like, okay, this is clearly a mistake. Tom's giving me the wrong address. Like, <laughs> obviously, this is not what's going. On. And like, he walks out of the building, and I remember distinctly being like, what's this? Oh yeah, this is this is this is the feeling of you wanting to cry. I remember being like, I want to cry. I just want to like, slam my head into the horn and take everything back, you know, but it worked out. Yeah. You stuck with it and, you know, things happen. I mean, you but, figure at that point you didn't really have a grasp on Lawrenceville yeah, or anything but, else I mean, in that. In 2014, <laughs> Driving from the zoo, oh, totally to, to spirit, like yeah, there's, there's not, there's not really a, like the, there's still not a whole lot going on yeah, in between the zoo yeah, and fifty first. You yeah, gotta go fifty first up. I remember just being like, Pittsburgh. "Oh my god, you mother!" I oh, dude, I could kill you right now. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like I'm living in your basement on Natrona Way in fifty third. This is a fate worse than death. I'm going back to New York. Fuck this. But I stuck with it, and I'm happy I did. Good. But uh, I mean that's. I was, I mean, that's a, hey, wild. That's super crazy how that worked out. But you were social and you reached out to strangers and, you know, there you are. It's, it's thankfully a hat that I can wear, you know, it's, uh, yeah. It's an important part of being like a independent artist in any sort of way. Yeah, you got to be able to network. You have to be able to talk to people. That's um, what I think most of my friends, some of like the most creative people that I know, that's like the quality that they lack the most is just the ability to well, talk I, and network. I, I mean, I would go as far as to say like, not only does it not go hand in hand, like, like, you know, social aptitude or whatever it is you want to call it. Like, yeah. I don't necessarily, it's definitely not in like a skill that is, that goes hand in hand with creative people. No, you know, I mean it's it almost goes against you know. It, I think because that's the thing. A lot of times, the people that you meet are super creative. They're kind of like they were like introverts growing up, or they weren't super social, you know. So at least that's how like it was for me mm-hmm. and other people that I've met. Like I, when I was growing up, I just like drew and I was like making music on a computer and like. I didn't really like have a whole lot of homies. Yeah. And then whenever I wanted to start going, getting out and like playing shows, I was like, crap, I have to like talk to people. What what do I got? How do I do this? And it was like learning a whole new thing. Cause I didn't like talk to a whole lot of people in school and stuff like that. I just, it was learning a whole new skill set. My issue is that I can't, uh, I can't do both at the same time. Like, yeah. you know, like I can turn one on, but I have to turn the other That's off. That's a really good point. You know what actually. I'm saying? Like, totally. Yeah. Like I can, I can turn it on and be like, okay, man, let's, let's network, let's mingle, let's talk and, and get this down. But when it comes to like my own art as a musician, I don't want to talk about it with anybody. I don't want to promote it. I don't want to like go out and it's really hard for me to be like, no, dude, you need to listen to this shit because it's great. Yeah. Because I just don't think, I just don't know that it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. I love it, but I don't know why I love it. You know, like, I have, a, like, that's my biggest <laughs> thing that I would change is, like, I do, I'm I'm grateful that I can play both sides of the field. I just wish I could do them simultaneously. Sure. And I can't. <laughs> but it's like uh, I think somebody that I hadn't here before made this analogy and it stuck with me. I can't remember who it was, but they said that like sometimes like your songs are like having like a really ugly kid 
and you're like going around to your friends like, hey, oh, yeah. check it out. It's my kid. And you're like, you you know, are your friends like really like, oh, your baby's cute. Or is like, do you have an ugly baby and they're just being nice? And the bottom line is that <laughs> nobody wants to see pictures of your kid. Yeah. And that you know? too. Yeah. Like, same thing. Yeah. It's, uh, we're hitting a really difficult, difficult spot with music because there's so much of it. Like, you know, there's so much of it. And I think that that's really the, I doubt you'd find a lot of people that would disagree. Oh, no. Yeah. That just seems to be the biggest issue. Like before, you know, you look at the golden age of music, you look at, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s, even the 90s, like kids weren't recording in their bedrooms. And if they were, you You could tell. Yeah, it was like it was a different thing. Like, no. <laughs> like it was like, holy shit, dude, you have an album? How'd you even do that? Sure. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. Like you'll listen to it because it's like, wow, dude, if you actually went to the trouble of like making a record, like going into a studio, but now it's like every fucking swinging dick on the block has a fucking mm-hmm. garage band and they're yeah making... I remember, like, I was just kind of, like, when I first really, really got into, like, doing music production stuff and started buying some, like, keyboards and beat stuff, I was, like, just graduating high school. So it was, like, 2002, 2003. And at that point, there weren't – there were some people that had, like, home studios, but it wasn't, like, how it is now. And for – there was, like, a couple years when it was, like, oh, wow, you make beats whole – like, wow. Mm -hmm. And then, like, I, like, went through the transition really quick of just meeting more and more. Like, oh, I make beats too. Like, what do you use? Fruity Loops, GarageBand, blah, blah. I'm, like, no. Like, I actually have, like, equipment. They're, like, oh, that's weird. And then, like, now it's just, like – Yeah, it's so – the transition's weird. It seems like a lot more legitimate now to the point where, like, I don't even tell people that, like, I make music. Well, a lot of people just know that I make music, but no, I went through totally that, that. I went through that that period where I just stopped talking to people about it. It's just like, because everybody's that. doing it. It's like, it's not an interesting fact about me I, anymore. Yeah, I almost, I, it's almost, it's almost turned into an insecurity. You know what I'm saying? It's almost, <laughs> yeah. it's almost some, it's almost turned into something I don't like about myself. <laughs> you uh-huh. know, like I make music. It's got Do you think does that have anything kind of like to tie into like when we were talking about uh, the things that your dad said? No, I don't know. No, I mean, I, I that's a different. No, that's a different yeah, thing. Like, and I don't think I don't think that has much to do with it. I think it's just the fact that you know, I right now I battle with the fact that like I'm you know in my early thirties, and it's like my my biggest struggle nowadays from a personal standpoint as an artist is just the fuck are you doing man like what are you you're getting on stage to sing in rhyme and melody your what are essentially things on your mind you're gonna yeah. sing them to strangers <laughs> like, like who the fuck why, do you think yeah, you are like, who fucking cares <laughs> dude yeah, totally. you know like that's the biggest thing that i'm like and i it's a bummer because it was never a problem when I was 21, 22 years old. I was like, fuck yeah, man, listen to this fucking song. This is the shit. Mm-hmm. But now it's just like, you know, I don't like telling people I'm a musician because they're just like, oh, yeah, dude, you're a musician. Okay. Like everybody else, like every <laughs> bad Tinder date I've ever been on, you know? Like, oh, yeah. It's just like, you know, there's just a stigma to it, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I know I have like some friends that are, uh, you know, they use dating apps and stuff like that. And they'll have like, 
I know they have pictures of them like with their guitars, like yeah, I play in a band and stuff. And it's like yeah, I definitely, I, <laughs> I, I've definitely used dating apps, <laughs> but I definitely don't put pictures. Of yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with using dating apps. And to be fair, there's probably nothing wrong with putting a picture of you know put yourself out there the way you want to. Yeah. I mean, you're gonna. I mean, if that's what you want, do whatever you want. We're all adults. But it, to me, as an outsider, I'm like, eh, I don't unnecessary know. information. I mean, if <laughs> And I'm really not trying to stick on the topic of dating websites, but, um, <laughs> but like, I mean, the other issue with it is like, the last thing I want to do is have a conversation with a stranger about it. You know, like, oh, you play music? Like, cause they're not going to be like, okay, you play music, whatever, weird. They're going to at least pretend to be interested. And yeah. then they're going to have to pretend to be interested as you explain it to them while you're pretending to be interested in explaining it to them. It's just like this huge big joke you're playing on each other nobody gives a fuck <laughs> you know like it's like the last thing in the world i want to talk to somebody about that doesn't really know me that well sure you know so now you being a musician and having like these shaky feelings about it and you know who you are mm -hmm. uh versus running an independent label and helping other people get their art out there mm -hmm. uh how are you able to like be passionate enough about other people's art when you can't like um be that into the fact that you're an artist because i'm i can still appreciate good music yeah um i just feel like you know the one the one uh the one thing i mean let me think about this like i love bands that I'm into, you know, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, yeah. I still love music and I still love finding new music. I find it harder nowadays to find new music, but I mean, I was never, I wasn't somebody who like came to Pittsburgh to be like, Oh yeah, dude, I'm going to, I'm going to start a label. Um, cause I didn't start a label. I was handed over yeah. a label to, to run, you mm -hmm. know, somebody, I mean, I, I wouldn't have started this, Yeah, you know, it, it was just, all right. I mean, hell, like everything seemed to kind of line up for this, you know, to be, serendipitously to fall on my lap the way it did it was just like well shit man like i was you know these are you know me and tom at spirit had been talking a lot for a long time about trying to figure out a way to like f have find like a, a cohesive way for bars to fund bands Mm -hmm. By selling the alcohol, the, the toasted sessions. Yeah, you know, and so like yeah. we'd been talking about that long before anything about the wild kindness thing showed up, or long before any of that. And then like, you know, I finished my equity at Spirit, and my plan was kind of to like, I guess, move back to New York. I mean, the plan was never to stay in Pittsburgh. And then, uh, but I had a, a a really good band. I love like, I mean, I'm really happy with um, uh, the band I have out here, and like. It was just like I had always talked about this. I, I mean, I've I've always really been into helping other musicians make records. Yeah, you know, like that's I'm really into the. I'd rather be in the studio than on stage any day of the week. Okay, and like the fact that oh shit, out of nowhere, this dude's just like here, take this label over. It's like, well, man, who are you? Like, if you you're sitting here talking shit about how you want to help bands in Pittsburgh and you want to sell beer out of spirit to fund labels and now some dude is just giving you this vehicle to do it with yeah 
how can you say no, not do it, and look at yourself in the mirror and be like, oh, yeah, I still want to. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Like, it kind yeah, of no. put me in a situation where I was like, I can't not do this or else I'm a fucking joke, you know? So I felt obligated. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and, no, it all makes sense. Totally. And um, I really strongly feel that Pittsburgh has really good bands. Yeah. And, I mean, they're better than Phoenix bands. Sorry, guys. They're better than New York bands. Not sorry, guys. And like, <laughs> it, but like, that's the bottom line, you know? Like, and maybe it has to do with the fact that I've never been in a situation where I've been working at a place like Spirit where I literally saw every single show that ever went down there ever in the first two years of its operation, you yeah. know? So maybe I was just a little bit, I had front row seat to the to the talent or maybe I didn't in these these other cities. Yeah. But it was very clear to me that like there are some really, really, really obviously solid bands here. And here's a dude who wants to, you know, Jeff Betton, God yeah. bless him, was like, run with this man. Do your thing. He hands off, you know? And how do you how do you how do you say no to that and and, and still call yourself what you want to call yourself if what you want to call yourself is a you know advocate of good music and a fledgling record produce producer yeah you know i still hesitate to call myself a record producer but like that's kind of what i that's what i want to be able to call myself yeah <laughs> with... well i think that you can call yourself whatever you are i mean it's all you know what I'm it's saying. subjective i know exactly what you're saying totally um, so that was you know that was how that came about it just seemed like I don't know. It would have been bullshit for me not to do it. Yeah. And also, did you really have anything else lined yeah, up? that was the other thing. It was like, okay, go back to New York. And what exactly? Like, I was working on Wall Street and Broadway when I left New York. You know, like, go back to that. I mean, I was terrified when I was working down there in 2012 and 2013 that something was going to go wrong and I was going to die. Yeah. Nowadays, it's the last place in the world. I mean, you know, like that's where, that's where I'd end up going. If I went back to New York, that's where I'd, I'd, that's where it would be the easiest place for me to find a job that could support myself in New York would be downtown Manhattan. And I don't want to work in downtown Manhattan because, you know, as crazy and as paranoid as it sounds, it's just like, it's a real concern. To, yeah. You know, like I didn't realize it until I was actually down there every day, but I was like, sh- you know, I watched the Freedom Tower get built every single day and was just like, dude, this, something goes down. God forbid. Like you are in the center of the bullseye. <clears throat> oh yeah, totally. You know, so I mean that, and there was no way I was going to go back to New York and have someone to be like, oh, here, run a label. Oh, and by the way, uh, here's a venue that you have full access to book in, you know? Yeah. Like, the fact that I had venue kind of uh, venue, the fact that I had spirit as a venue kind of, you know, to within reason, do, yeah, which do, do what I wanted to do with, you know, to be able to, I had the ability to book what I wanted in spirit. And, that, and, and, and the fact that I had a label now that I had creative control over, mm-hmm. and the fact that I was able to tie down a nine to five job down in downtown Pittsburgh to like get me out of, you know, being at the bar until four in the morning every every night, it was like, well, man, like you're not going to find this in New York. Yeah, you're going to go right back to what you were doing, and you're going to go back to like, you know, the seven or eight years that I spent in New York were a beautiful, beautiful 
crystal fucking castle that is, I wouldn't, it was great. It was the best decision I ever made in my life. And I knew that if I had gone back, it would have been trying to recreate something. You know, it wouldn't. Yeah, it would, and a and, lot of the. And it would have jaded. A lot of that area has changed too. Yeah, a lot like of the whole scene there was, has changed. Yeah, I mean, there was nothing there that was, nothing is left that was there when I got there in, in Brooklyn. And like, that sounds lame, but it's true. It's and <laughs> super like, true. And, you know, I didn't want to taint the really beautiful experience that I had already had in New York by trying to recreate it and like stretch it out even further. Like, I remember thinking like, yeah, no doubt. Moving to New York was the best decision I ever made in my life. I was really, I really want leaving New York to be the second best decision I ever made in my <laughs> okay. life. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I'm, I'm aiming for that. I can't say it yet, but like, <laughs> that would be really sweet if that's the way this whole thing uh-huh. worked out. Yeah. I wonder how long it'll be before you can say that. Yeah. I guess you got to come back to that question yeah, you know, in another let's, 10 let's, years let's, or something. Let's like reconvene that. in a little bit. We'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, let's tell you how it's going. Totally. So, like, right now with Wild Kindness and stuff like that, what. Is some exciting shit you'd like to talk about that's going on with the label. The Honey and the It It record, for sure. Um, and we just we just finished tracking most of uh, the Slugs record yesterday. We had three days, Mr. Smalls, Friday, uh, Saturday, and Sunday, and those were the those were the three flagship bands for the label. Really cool. Um, the first three that I approached, and you know they all they sound really, really, really good, and they sound. They sound honest, and they, you know, I'm really excited about them. Um, I think that they're a big step up from, I don't know what, but they sound legit. I'm happy that they sound yeah, legit. Yeah, you know, and, I, uh, I have not seen uh, Slugs or Honey play, but I have seen It, It and I love that band. Mm-hmm. They're great. I mean, they, they track their whole record live. You know, yeah. which, which I mean, and I mean, that's, that's, you know, I can see people on the other end of this podcast being like, okay, whatever. But if you've seen it, it, yeah, like that shit is not easy yeah. to perform live. I mean, that is not a, those are not normal song structures. Those are, that's not like, but I feel, I mean, I feel like if it was recorded in a more modern way, all the life would just be completely sucked out. No, I mean, I don't, I don't think that there's one way you should record a record. I think it just depends on the band. You yeah, know what it, I mean, it, that's what I'm saying. I think for them, that that'd be an excellent way to track. It. I think I agree 100. percent It's an excellent way to track it. But I wouldn't go as far as to say that I don't think that they could make an amazing record if they layered it. I would say yeah. the same about Slugs. Um, I mean, it would obviously it would sound good, but I think that if you put the two next to each other, you'd probably hear like an obvious difference. Maybe. No, I definitely think you'd hear an obvious difference. I just don't necessarily know which one of those. I mean, I'm definitely very, I wouldn't want to retrack it any other way based yeah. on how good it came out. Yeah. But who's to say, I mean, they can, yeah. you know, I've, I have a lot of faith in, in those dudes and all those dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, 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 they proved it on this recording. Yeah, for sure. me, I, I really, really like the recording process. Um, I love how bands achieve things in the studio. You know, I've said this a dozen times, like I would trade in my record collection if I could just like have like DVDs with like behind the scenes of how these albums were made. I find that stuff so much more fascinating. Yeah. But also at the end of the day, all that really matters is the end result. Mm -hmm. What does it sound like? Because, you know, 
it's, you know, you might be on the same side as me of like being really into that behind the scenes stuff. Oh yeah. But most people aren't, they don't even think about it, (laughs) which is really unfortunate. If Netflix released all of behind the music, (laughs) my life would be like on pause for about a month and a half. Yeah. (laughs) Like I wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. I love that stuff. Yeah. I'm a total whore for it. Uh huh. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about, um, I'm excited about all of it. Uh, we've got, we've got slugs, it, it, honey. We've got dinosaur. Uh, mm-hmm. we've got thousands of bees. We've got gilling. We've got, uh, swamp walk lampshades. Ancient history is my band. Good sport. Uh, we actually just, uh, we're hoping to pick up Bat here pretty soon. I've talked to I've talked to them in the past couple of days. They're cool. Um, it's exciting. I'm really uh, want to make sure I'm not forgetting anybody. Slugs, it is funny. <laughs> Dinosaur, thousands of bees, killing. Good sport. Lampshades. Ancient history. Swamp walk. Bat Yeah, I think that's all. Of them. Cool. <laughs> I mean, those are bands that are all active you know like yeah. i told you like i haven't seen all of those bands perform mm-hmm. but they're all bands that i've seen on flyers and i see people talking about and i know that they're friends with friends of mine and it's but that's even that's just a small percentage of how many good bands there are around here no which doubt. goes back to what you were saying about all the talent there is in pittsburgh yeah and i mean i think that you know it's um I guess I don't know where I was going to go with that, but like, <laughs> I have a music is such it's we're in, it's in such a terrible terrible place. Sure, I mean, like on the grand scale, on like, the industry level, like it's we're in the dark ages. I doubt you would find anybody that would disagree with that. And like, and I've used this, uh, I've explained it to a lot of people this way. Like, <laughs> I feel right now. That like the way I feel about music and maybe even uh, more specifically this label and uh, the work I'm putting into it and the work that everybody's putting into it, I, f- I feel about music right now the way that I have to assume uh, devout Christians feel about Jesus, where it's like, I have no reason to believe that this is real. I have no, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I have to have faith. Like I have faith. <laughs> That this dude is the son, like at some point, it's like what I'm doing is gonna, it's, there's a reason for it. Uh Like it's, it's just a blind faith because like nobody is gonna, you know, I don't think anybody has any, I mean, no one's gonna be Nirvana, you know, like that, that, nothing, no one's gonna come out and just blow Taylor Swift out of the water overnight, you know, because the world just decides that they're fed up with this shit. Like, so like, you know, a lot of the times, you know, you battle it and you're just like, God damn it. You know, like music is in such a sad place right now, but like I have to have faith that like, if this is the dark ages, there has to be a Renaissance, you know? Yeah. And like, that's it. That's really all it comes down to. It's like a religion thing, you know, like music, I guess with out trying without sounding too corny, hopefully, it's kind of my religion. I mean, it's like, it's something that I have this totally <laughs> unwarranted fate, not unwarranted, but like it's, it's a faith, 
You know, nothing more than that. Yeah. Just this like, shit, man, I'm just going to put, I'm, I'm putting it all on red and I'm spinning the wheel and like, fuck, you know, if, if nothing comes of it at the end of the day, at least I can feel true to myself. Well, I mean, you know, know, again, nothing too. That's like, you can, what, what is nothing? You know what I mean? No matter what, at the end of the day, there's going to be something there. Yeah. You know, great art yeah. was created and added to the world, but then you can look at it from the side the like, oh, gonna... great, we just threw more, threw more stuff in the, you in know, the, in the big pool. Like, I, mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like that. Yeah, I don't want to make it that, sound like. I know you're not. That's not what you're trying you to know, make it sound like. I, I, I just, you know, I just feel like there's, you have to keep believing that there's a purpose for music and that there's a place for it and that it is it is as important as you and I know it is mm-hmm. you know and like everyone else I think you know it it it, it kind of you know it, it worked its way out of the social consciousness I guess maybe to where it's not really something that you know it, we're just so pounded in the face with it all the time that like I mean, people pe- don't like people don't it's not as important to them. Well, yeah, it's because every people are pounded in the face with everything now, mm-hmm. thanks to you know, cell phones and internet advertisements, advertisements and yeah, internet and it's cell they're phone, getting yeah. thrown, they're getting hit with advertisements all over the place from everyone for every little thing. You know, you can go on Facebook and you're getting advertisements for paper towels because you said paper towels too close to your cell phone, and now it thinks you need oh, paper towels. <laughs> right though, man. <laughs> so, like you know your band in the mixture of all that other shit Mm -hmm. is it's hard, you know, getting people who aren't involved in the community to want to be a part of the community is the big struggle. Well, the thing, the problem, yeah, I mean, that's the big struggle, but also it comes down to a lot of the people that are like in the community, like a lot of people that are not in the community think they're in the community. Okay. You know, like a lot of people I think are like, oh no, dude, I go, I love music. I oh, but they my, never go to anything? You know, like I have my Spotify account and my Apple Music account. Sure, sure, like, sure. I really like music. I turn it on in my car and I listen to it all the time. It's like, do you know what you're listening to? You know, like <laughs> when was the last time you bought, so, you know, like when was, you know, it's just, I find that like there's, I think that everyone, music is so readily available and so everywhere, like choosing sure. out of every crack and it's, crevice that you can find that like and no one has to, i mean that it's it's like everyone's like oh no I, I like music i'm 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 a part of this art form and it's like no you're you're not you're a consumer uh-huh. and like you, this is being force fed to you and you're not you know i mean you're not passionate about it maybe that's the defining characteristic is like there's people that are like oh yeah i like music because it I put it on in my car and I, I listen to it on my phone and yeah, like they don't, they don't really care. They don't. Yeah. You know, they'll, Oh, there's another problem. You'll have people that are busy or older or whatever. And if they're going to take their time out of their busy life to go to a show, maybe they'll go see so-and-so at the Rex theater or so-and-so it's stage AE. You know, because it's a big event, but to go to like the local show at Spirit or at Cativo, it's just like, well, I don't want to go to a local show. I like stigma with local music. And I agree with that 100%. 
and what and to further that, like the issue with the live show thing is you get you know, people always tell me it's like, well, you know, you've got to be able to, you know, these, these bands can't be playing every weekend. You know, you've got to make just play once every couple of months in the city and make it a big blowout thing. And like, people have been saying that shit for years and years <laughs> in city after city, like everywhere. It's always just like, oh, no, this is the way you've got to be able to, you know, play only once every couple of months and blow out this show. And, you can't play if you want to get the good show with a touring band that's coming through town. You can't play anything two months before, two months after. And, like, I see that. I see the logic in that. But, like, I've never seen a band actually do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've never seen a band that, like, really, like, oh, because I, they played the right number of shows in the right places, they had a crew. Like, no. And yeah. that's kind of what I'm trying to, because one of the big beefs with the way wild kindness works is like the bands play shows for free and we take the money, we put it into a pot. And then when the bands are ready to record, that money is there so that we can, you know, record their album, we can record their record. You know, no one's getting paid. It's just going into a pot. And as the, you know, the bands know the order that they're coming up and when they're, you know, when, sure. when the, they can start, there could be four bands playing a show and all that money goes to a band. That's not even playing that show, but they're ready to record, exactly. but it's all about helping. Yeah. But like each other, we, we right? do, we do that. But then there's people who are just like, you can't keep doing it this way. You can't keep doing it to where you've got the same bands playing every month at the same venue. And I get that. And there is some truth to it for sure. But like, you know, I'm not, a business person. Anybody that knows me will probably tell you that. I'm not somebody who is, I'm not, I might, I might not even be good at marketing, you know, like, or promotion. It's not my cup of tea, but like, I feel like with, with Wild Kindness, the situation that I'm in, I can't worry about that. No. The only thing that I can really worry about is making sure that these records are really, really good. Exactly. Because that's it. And like, that's what I feel like, oh, how many shows you play or how big the crowd is. Like, who gives a fuck? Like, and the music needs to be amazing. And like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm totally naive, but I'm, I'm, I'm down to take that criticism if that's the case. But sure. like, I feel like what, what, what I am capable of really focusing on is just making sure that we have enough money to make, to, to do the, to do the records right so we don't skimp and we, we make them good because at the end of the year, five years from now, no one's going to give a fuck that you sold out Spirit. No one's going to give a fuck that you opened for Deer Hunter at Smalls. Yeah. But like, if you have a record that five years from now still sounds fucking awesome, that's going to mean a lot more. And like, if I feel like uh, with, as records come out, we're attached to Misra records. Yeah. So we get a lot of PR help through them. You know, like if blogs start to realize that like, wow, all these records that are coming out are actually really, really good. You know, that, you know, that I feel like is going to be more important than like, wow, dude, these guys were able to pull off one really bitchin' show every six months. Sure. I mean, no matter what, back to an analogy I use all the time. It's like, uh, or simile or whatever the fuck. Uh, it's like taking a shot at the Death Star, man. Yeah. You know? It's like, that's what it is. 
You know, like, I mean, you're lucky if you get a shot. Uh-huh. All you can do is take it. And, like, I'm not going to pretend that I <laughs> think that I'm going to be able to take down the Death Star. But if I can get this label into a situation where we can at least take a shot at it, it's better than sure. most people can do, you know? I mean, well, that's that's exactly what I'm thinking in my head is, you know, like, people say something like, oh, you can't keep doing it that way. But it's like, I don't know who's saying that to you, but it's like, what the fuck are they doing? It's like, what's, tell me what is working. Exactly. Show me me some bands that make a lot of money playing music right now in Pittsburgh. Like, show me some, like, show it to me. Exactly. Like, there's nothing. There's no way to. That's the thing. It's like, I, you know, I had a conversation with somebody recently who is somebody that I work with on a creative level. And it was like a real, like, heated debate about, like, the things that I'm doing and like, oh, I'm just settling being in Pittsburgh and blah, 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 blah. It's like, dude, I put out three albums last year. I'm playing shows. I'm, I like my job. I have good friends. Like I'm in a good environment. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how am I like failing as an artist right now? I'm like, it's like the only way I'm like, it's like, okay, I could be bigger, but But who fucking cares? Nobody is succeeding. It's like, it's like everybody's so fucking caught up in their own lives to give a shit about what I'm doing. Exactly. So it's like, if as long as I could be happy with myself and like have a good bubble, cool. I'm just going to focus on that and just work on making music. Yeah, I mean, and I think about it and it's like, okay, so, so your suggestion is to, you know, okay, play what one show a quarter. All right. So let's, 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 let's say, and then like, what? Let, yeah. Like let's say we play a show a quarter and, uh, you know, or two shows a quarter because we've got what 10, 11 bands on the label right now. We can't really play, you know, okay, yeah. let's play, let's, let's for let's just say we have three shows a quarter for every band, all right? That and we sell out downstairs at Spirit, all right, to the point where no more people can come in. Let's say we make 1500 bucks on, on all of those shows, which is a lot of money to, to, to pull in from a, from a show at Spirit, like that's selling. That's selling the place out. Yeah. All right. So every quarter we come home with $4,500. All right. Well, if we play three shows a month, you know, and like every month we play, we, I mean, we, we, the shows are smaller, but we pull in 500 per show, which is nowhere near selling out. You know, You're getting we're more still money. making the same amount of money. Yeah. We're making the same amount of money and we're reaching more people. Nobody is getting turned away. They have more. You know what I'm saying? And like, you're gonna make more. There's and there's more room to to fill. Mm-hmm. You know, you can still get more people in there. I think that like, like from a monetary standpoint, which is really the whole point is, is to make money so that these bands can record records that are fucking good. And you want to keep the name. You want the name, like the Wild Kindness name, and those bands to keep popping up. Like the only reason I'm really familiar, I became familiar with the name Wild Kindness, was because I kept seeing events happening. Yeah, I mean, and you know, it's like you got to you I mean, do that, and people line. become there, aware of it. There is an oversaturation point, and I'm aware of that. And we've really walked the line pretty close on it, especially in the beginning because we didn't have, you know, when we had six bands, it was really tough to like do sure. two shows a month and like not have repeating lineups. Uh-huh. But, like, I think I I don't I don't subscribe to the whole the, the whole idea that like. You just have to do less shows and just make them bigger because, I mean, there's, I, I don't think that it's like, oh, it's, I don't think it's a clear, 
I like, think that it depends on the band. I think maybe as I've had friends that were in bands that uh, did that, mm-hmm. it didn't work for them. But they were also in bands where they had to play like like it's kind of like a, like a bigger like rock band, like a band that you would hear on like the X or something, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and if they aren't playing on like a big stage with lights and they have like the whole thing. Mm-hmm. They look silly. Like they can't play in a DIY space. They have to play a bigger stage for like their aesthetic to be translated properly. So for like a band like that, maybe I would understand why you would think like that. I don't agree with it, but I would understand how you could think like that. But like with me, you know, in the music that I do, it's like I can play a shitty little hole in the wall bar and living room show. Yeah, I can do that. Or I could play. Then the next week, I could play the Rex Theater, and I don't have to worry about oversaturating that much because my friends that are going to see me in a hole-in-the-wall bar or in a living room, they weren't going to come to the show at the Rex anyways. And a lot of the people that are going to see me at the Rex, they don't want to go to a hole-in-the-wall bar. So I'm just playing shows for more demographics of people. But everybody, it doesn't work for everybody's band. It just depends on Mm -hmm. the type of music you're doing and who you know. I, mean, I don't claim to have the answers. If I had the answers, yeah, I would nobody does. Neither I would, I would tell you, and I would tell everybody, and I would implement them. Yeah, but like you know, I'm, I'm. I just want people to chill the fuck out and just do whatever you want to do. Well, I don't think people need to necessarily chill the fuck out, but I think people need to realize that, dude, nobody's got the fucking answer here. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, like there is nobody that, and if you do have the answer, you're you should be rich. <laughs> you know, like uh-huh. I mean, there's. That's what I think. Everybody has their opinion on how it should be done. And I don't think that anybody's right yet. Yeah, I, th- know, I just think I, it's different for everyone, honestly. I just, uh, it depends on, I think, a lot of where where your passion lies. I think there are people who are natural promoters, and what they want is that big fucking night where everyone's just having a blast and it's just balls to the wall and everybody gets laid. And, yeah. You know, they, they, that, they, that's what they're going for. They want that... They want that night. I don't really want that night. I want that record. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, sure. That, like, it's much more important to me that we have, like, it'd be great if two or three years from now we could be like, dude, look at look at these records we've made. Like, they're all fucking awesome. Like, it would be cool to be like, I remember that night fucking two years ago where we just got fucking <laughs> crazy, you know? And like, I mean, yeah. Like, but that shit will happen. I mean, I don't know. I just... It's um, it's a hard thing to gauge because you know, I mean, I know I don't have the answer, so I want to listen to everybody else, and I try to, but it's well, I think you know, you gotta. It's we're just in we're in a we're in the dark ages. Man. Yeah, I mean, I think that my opinion would be that you're focusing on what's most important, and that's making good product. I don't feel like you can have like a blowout event if you don't have like good bands with good product doing good things. Well, I feel like at this point, everywhere you look, and no one's going to disagree with me on this one, advertisements are everywhere to the point to where yeah, they're that's static. What, that's what I was just saying. Like, yeah. You can't look at like, I mean, shit. I mean, you could be on, oh, I don't know, like the New York City subway. You're surrounded by advertisements. You get off the subway. And if you had to tell tell me one thing that was advertised in that in that train, we wouldn't be able to do it. We don't even we are trained to not even fucking pay attention anymore. And so like you can promote the hell out of all the shows you want, 
and like if it's and you can like you know make it trendy or cool or like like you know it's like the hip thing to go and see this band but like Really, I don't think that even registers with people anymore. No. The only way I think that you're going to get people actually making a concerted effort to come out to the show other than just because you're their friends and you know that it's going to be a good time because all of your other friends are going to be there. The only way that people are going to come out for the music, come out for the music, is if they're listening to those songs in their headphones all day and they know the words. You know? Like when you have good product that somehow you get to them and that's the hard part like mm-hmm. the hard part isn't even making good product at this point oh yeah the getting people to push play getting people to press play and listen because if you can do that and like if we can get you know kids to like listen to this honey record and learn the words to it those kids will come out to the show and pay seven dollars mm-hmm. to, to see i mean and they'll you know, regardless of where it is, regardless of whether the, their friends are coming, they're going to go because they like it, they believe in it, they want to see that they... Dude, I, fuck you, man. I saw Honey when they played it fucking Spirit in 2017. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, definitely. Like, that is, that's how you get people to the shows and caring. Mm-hmm. You know, that's those are the people that buy things. Those are the people that, like, have will, will go anywhere in the city for any show, you know, we can play a show on the South side and still get people from Lawrenceville out there. If those people in Lawrenceville are listening to the record and know the songs, like that's it. Get them to push play. Otherwise you're just, you're, you're feeding them, you know, I don't know what it is. It's just, it's the, the, you know, the hipster hype. You know? Yeah. And like, it's just like, oh, come to this because everyone off, look how many people are going on Facebook and like, oh, you've heard this name 300 times and like, oh, this is, uh, yeah, it's all cool and it's effective and it's what we're working on right now. Yeah. But if, but, but like, if we can get it to the point to where people actually know these songs and know these bands and be like, oh, dude, I fucking hope, you know, oh, just please play Lord Have Mercy, you know, just play, <laughs> play, play, you know, yeah. and like, that's what you want. You want people that, that like, because I mean, think about the bands you really go and see. You know, when you go and see, you know, Radiohead or something like that, you're just like, oh my God, they're playing Idiotech and you just freak out. You know, like you, they're like, that's, that's what we need to focus on. And we cannot focus on it if what they're listening to isn't phenomenal. Yeah. You know, you got to put out good product. And like, that's, I'm one person and I can really worry about very, a very limited number of things and like in regard to this label that's definitely the hill i'm trying to die for yeah i i think it's the most important thing just to have good songs because yeah. otherwise the bands it's point there's no point yeah i mean well i mean i won't say that if our whole goal if we were spending yeah. all of our money on pr or like local promotion and like listen dude who gives a fuck just record it on your bedroom and fucking and in a on GarageBand. Oh yeah. In five years or six years when which is probably which is probably what will happen. You know, this won't, you know, at least you'll at least they'll have something that's like, dude, yes. Listen. You know, it's still there and it's still like Oh yeah. You know, five years from now, everything's done. Wild kindness is in the ground and like we have these records that we kind of half ass through because all we were focusing on is promotion. There's nothing really left. Yeah. You know, if all this shit goes to hell and like nothing ever works out, we all get tired and burnt out and jaded and we quit 
at least at the end of the day, we'll still be able to look back 10 years from now and be like, oh, yes, dude, this is so good. You know? Yeah. Like, we'll still, I mean, and I'd, I'd rather take that than, I'd rather take B than A. That's just me. Yep. You know? I agree with you. 100%. So. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's wild kindness. I like it. I think we're probably, probably wrap this up soon. Cool. Is there any other things that you want to drop? I feel like you kind of did a lot of name dropping of things, but we missing anything? No, I mean, I gave you the bands. Uh, um, we're going to start recording Dino Soul next month. We got, uh, uh, got to work on slugs. Ancient History put out a record uh, two weekends ago. Cool. Um, check that out for sure on Bandcamp. Ancient History PGH at dot Bandcamp, whatever the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I'll find all the links yeah. and I'll attach them and stuff like but that. No, man. I appreciate you uh, having me and letting yeah, me brain dump into your microphone. <laughs> yeah, no. It was a good talk. I, I, yeah, I, I knew that you ran Wild Kindness. I didn't know any of that other stuff. So I was like, wow, whole lot of info. Good talk. <laughs> cool, man. Yeah. Thanks for coming over. And we are done. Sweet. And that is all, folks. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Donnie is a great dude. Really awesome to sit down with him, get to meet him. Looking forward to going to future Wild Kindness events. Looking forward to hearing the It It full length. After we stopped recording, he actually let me hear some of it off of his phone. It sounds fucking tight. That band is really cool. Yo, if anyone from It It is listening to this conversation still and you want to be on the podcast, please hit me up. I don't know any of you people, but you seem fucking awesome. It would be cool if you reached out to me. Brian Howe on Facebook, or you can look me up on uh, any of the social media shit at The Real Psych. Shoot me a message if you want to be on. Or if anybody out there knows It It and wants them to be on the show, Tell them that you want them to be on the show and we'll make it happen. I would just, I'd really like to sit down with them. I'll be back again next week with another new episode. Same time, same place, same channel. You know the drill. My name is Sykes. Start the beat. 2016. Actually, it's 2017, you big dumb dumb. Woo! Woo! Thanks for listening.